Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guests today are two old men yelling at clouds who always dress so that they feel like they're wearing nothing at all and know that it's, in fact, the children who are wrong. They're not slowly backing into the bushes, instead going full Lisa in bye-bye nerdy mode to give a presentation to defend the late 1990s, early 2000s seasons, specifically what I'm referring to as the preteen years, seasons 9 through 13, of the Fox animated sitcom The Simpsons. Everyone is wrong, but Spike Friedman and Jason Baxter aren't. Thanks for coming on again, guys. Thank you. It is a it is an honor to be on talking about something even more important than defending Alex Rodriguez or Tim Tebow or uh, <laughs> that was my point, but uh, other things. And Jason's been on uh, many a time here in all sorts of manners. Always a blast. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, if you listen in current time, but thanks for uh, still listening if you're around. But anyway, The Simpsons, let's get into the background of it. The Simpsons is an animated sitcom created by Matt Groening, which debuted on Fox in December 1989, and at the time of this recording has still yet to leave the air. It's the longest-running sitcom, primetime scripted series, and animated show in American television history. The show follows the hijinks of the Simpson family, the idiot father Homer, the nervous mother Marge, the intelligent daughter Lisa, the troublemaker Bart, and the baby Maggie. Seemingly everyone else in their town of Springfield is also a wildly colorful character. The Simpsons has become a pop culture landmark, spawning catchphrases, memes, merch, a movie, and winning 35 Emmys and two Peabody Awards. That said, for being arguably the most acclaimed animated show of all times, there's also a consensus that the show, which is now in season, oh, what is it, 32? Two? Now I'm I think blank. it's is it more than that? How many is it? It's so many. It's so many. Um <laughs> I'm even going to look this up now because I'm uh 35. Let's go with 35. Um yeah, it's season 35. <laughs> Correct, Spike. Yes, it's now in its 35th season, and given that, inevitably there is a decline, and a lot of people sort of debate over the decline and how soon it enters the picture. The first handful of seasons are held up as classic TV, and then people start to fade on its quality, despite it being on TV for another two decades and counting. It's sort of like, if you're not a TV person, maybe more of a music person, how people are often like, Weezer's first two albums are good, and then they're terrible. And a lot of people, like myself, would be like, Actually, the first like four albums are good and then everything's terrible. So that's sort of the meta argument that we're making today is that actually these semi later than golden era seasons are actually still pretty great uh, Simpsons, which a lot of people disagree with. Generally, the decline point varies from person to person between starting to get bad at season seven or season 14, though generally the popular consensus is around season 9 or 10, which is why it's good to kind of go back and reevaluate these seasons with some Simpsons aficionados. For context, when you type, when did the Simpsons into Google, the first auto-populate is, when did the Simpsons get bad? So uh, that's a general 
I guess, internet feeling. There's also an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to the historiography of The Simpsons, where it just talks about this golden era and when things start to go off. Darren Frenick of Popwatch wrote, The 90s era Simpsons weren't funny because of the references. They were funny because the writing was snappy, the characters were fully realized, the individual episode plots were structured so well. There was wordplay, farce, and topical satire. There was also outright silliness. See Sideshow Bob getting hit by all those rakes. The references were only the icing, not the cake. So obviously nobody expects The Simpsons to be in its prime era now in 2023, but when things start to jump the proverbial shark is why we're here today. But before we get into that, just on a personal level, Spike and Jason, what is your relationship to The Simpsons? Yeah, I still watch The Simpsons. Um, I don't want to say like every day, but I'm probably watching three episodes a week still, maybe more. And watched it consistently through syndication and new airings. I would say through season 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. So I was with it for a long time and I remain with it but in a much more condensed way and i will say that there's recently been even a the new episodes are good and i'll try and i won't go there (laughs) i don't think everyone is wrong about season 34 where people are saying there's a third renaissance or something you know i'm not i'm not going there yeah jason yeah i would say my experience is is very similar to his Uh, i believe we're probably all of the same basic generation so you know i would watch the syndicated earlier seasons every day after school then on sundays i would watch you know many of the episodes will or the era that we'll we'll talk about today live every sunday night right those those were the new simpsons to you yeah and you know there is nostalgia for them obviously but i'm not letting that stand in the way of my actual critical opinion that they are still quite funny and quite clever and deserve to be at least considered not verboten Right. I think there's still there's still, you know, blood in that stone for sure. Yeah. And as for me, um, I was definitely in that like thing where I didn't watch The Simpsons a lot like as a young kid because it was when parents were still like, I don't know, this adult cartoon like seems like might be inappropriate kind of thing. All the like backlash against the early Simpsons. And then my parents watched it and they're like, oh, actually, this is good. So then I mainly watched it in like syndication, like after uh right before dinner there's usually an episode at like five o'clock or whatever and then i deep dove when they did the every simpsons ever marathon on fxx back in 2014 and went through i think season. oh yeah i think i went through season 13 basically based on spike's recommendation because i was like how long do i like absolutely need to watch this uh and that was it and i did not feel disappointed watching uh through 13 seasons so we're here discussing uh now uh seasons 9 through 13 um a few critical perspectives before we dive into the defense points british producer saul harris watched all 28 seasons at the time in four months back in 2017 to track the show's decline and said that season 11 is actually where it went from bad simpsons to bad television uh, in his uh, terminology. Screen Rant's Dusty Stowe wrote a story on The Simpsons' decline in 2019 and pinpointed it earlier, uh, specifically to season 9 and 10. Stowe 
cited season nine's The Principal and the Popper as the start of the decline. Apparently, that is a wildly unpopular episode among many internet corners of Simpsons fandom. I mean, many damn nerds. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was one of the episodes. I, I asked both guys for episodes that they definitely wanted to discuss, and that was uh, one that was on there. And I don't think it's a disaster like some people did. Stowe wrote, By season 10, The Simpsons was both cruder and sillier, embracing the sort of zany physical gags and easy toilet humor that had largely eschewed in its earlier days in favor of more cerebral, innovative laughs. Alongside this was the show's use of Homer, who was increasingly stuffed into stories and scenarios that didn't necessarily require him, and who became a much meaner, less likable figure all around. So that is um, some of the... It's hard because it's a general broad thing, so there's less like, um, you know, when doing a movie, it's just like, here's the bad reviews. It's generally like, there's a cultural feeling that The Simpsons dives off after about season seven or eight and spike and jason are here to counter that so spike and jason why is everyone wrong about the preteen seasons of the simpsons well they're funny they're funny episodes of television and they aren't without heart or cleverness that's that's where it does fall off a cliff at a point it just doesn't happen just because Mike Scully becomes showrunner instead of Bill Oakley and Weinstein in season seven and eight. It's not an immediate precipice. And there are a lot of reasons why. But I do, before we even dive in, just want to say, like, there are interviews of Harry Shearer around seasons three and four of The Simpsons where he's like, yeah, the show sucks now. <laughs> like, oh, man, they're, we're doing this monorail episode. It's ridiculous. It's terrible. And so, like, right, you know, at a certain point, people become right about this. But I just want to be clear that people were pulling the, pulling the ripcord on this way too early and that this being The Simpsons being past its prime. And God, there are just there are some really, really funny episodes, and we'll get into all the details. But I'm just gonna say they're just really funny, and they're funny today, the year of our Lord 2023. Jason, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I mean I echo everything that Spike just said to the point of the their the some of the later season episodes being very clever. I completely agree. Some of the concepts are very out there, even inane at times. But I kind of dug that and. Yeah, another place where the, I think the real precipice ex- of quality exists is when they start repeating plotline ideas. Um, so the Simpsons, the, yeah, the Simpsons did it first, but then the Simpsons did the Simpsons first. Yeah, and uh, that's that's even uh, a symptom of the movie, which I rewatched this morning, having not seen it in a while. And, uh, you know, having a, a, a B or C plot about Lisa having a, you know, eco-friendly, eco-warrior crush is has been done at least once before. Um, so they should have known better. Yeah. But yeah. All right. So maybe for contextually starting off the defense points, Spike, you have, you know, a lot of the sort of inner workings of the behind the scenes thing. So I think one of your points was that Jason Schwartzweiler and George Meyer, you feel like are still cooking in these seasons. And maybe you can sort of discuss that and why, sort of the background machinations at the show, which is why some people like point to 
you know, the decline, like you said, the showrunner and all that. Absolutely. So there are two big and and it's worth saying we're all we're all connected from the city of Seattle and writing in the city of Seattle. There are two big Seattle connects here. But George Meyer is considered the funniest writer on The Simpsons. And the nature of animation means that the writer's room functions multiple times. And at The Simpsons, they would do retreats where they'd break stories for the whole year, pitch and break, and then assign. And then scripts would come in, they'd do the first pass, but then they had a notorious writer's room that would do rewrites. And George Meyer was the head of the rewrite room, and it's considered the best punch-up room since probably, like, show of shows, Sid Caesar, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen in the 50s. Like, that's how that's the only other writer's room that's considered that good at punching up scripts. And by the nature of animation, it meant that they got to fine-tune everything. Everything that's great about The Simpsons, all the sign gags, all the callbacks, all the little precise bits happen in that rewrite room. And George Meyer was in that rewrite room, and, and not just in it, but leading it. He was the guy. George Meyer was running the rewrite room at The Simpsons until 2005. Mm. 2005. Schwartzwelder, uh, John Schwartzwelder, we're mixing up Jason Schwartzmeyer and John Schwartzwelder. It, it's too easy. But he's considered the best scripter of episodes in the history of the Simpsons. He's a notorious weirdo also born in Seattle, not in Seattle anymore. He like he was the first remote worker at the Simpsons. He apparently would write all his episodes in a diner booth and then the diner closed down and he bought the booth and installed it in his house. <laughs> and it's just like a weird old dude who would like crush his scripts every time. And he was consistently writing new episodes through 2003. So yeah, just just for context, so George is on till 2005, which is season 17, and 2003 would be season 14. So yeah, we're talking about seasons uh, 9 through 12, which are essentially like 97 through 2001. So just And we're talking about them still absolutely cooking at their prime in that period. I mean, I'm just going to like list off some Schwartzwelder episodes like so I could do some early ones because he was doing Homer the Vigilante Bart gets famous Bart gets an elephant Bart's Comet Homer the Great I mean we're talking monster incredible episodes but then we get later into like season 12 and we're talking Hungry Hungry Homer we're talking the computer war menace shoes yes we're talking maximum Homer drive and Homer to the max. If Homer is going to the max, John Schwartzwelder is writing that episode. And you can feel that thread from the beginning and like the madness that's coming out of his brain. And it is still there. And yeah, Homer's in weirder situations. But when those two dudes are writing, the gags are still A plus and the episodes are still rooted in what made the Simpsons funny early. So that's why those two guys being around and yeah, they go a little later than this. And really, if you watch these seasons, I'd say that nine through 13 are the last seasons where most of the episodes are good through 17. You still have a couple good ones a year. Yeah. It's more like these are exactly. You have to be really selective. Whereas because you've got Myron sports while they're cooking from nine to 13, you can just turn those on and you're not going to get the big misses you get later. 
Did you want to maybe we should like dive into a couple of those episodes you mentioned in this like run just to, you know, give some context of like sort of the like, you know, the, the story structure that is, you know, still cooking and sort of the um, jokes that these two are bringing to the table. Well, and I can I can alley up Jason a little bit here because I think he has the point about what this structure becomes. Yeah. But when you talk about Hungry Hungry Homer, it starts with them going to Blocko Land. You know, but the episode becomes about minor league baseball and they have this structure where act one becomes almost self-contained and then propels itself into act two and three. But when it's done right, it's done through character. So what happens in this one is Homer gets really happy about helping Lisa get a spare part for her Blocko Eiffel Tower and decides to become a good person. Lenny identifies that he's mad about how bad the isotopes are and wants a refund on his tickets, but the isotopes say they want his money. So Homer, being a good guy now, goes into the isotopes headquarter, demands the money back, doesn't get it, but discovers they're moving the team to Albuquerque, and then that's your next two. And he goes on a hunger strike, and it's perfect, but like it is this crazy act one into a very different crazy act two and three, but it is all rooted in big funny character choices mm-hmm. that's my favorite yeah. episode so absolutely yeah they, they really refine that weird kind of off base or lopsided structure in those years and no other show does that and it's like when i think of simpsons narrative i think of that structure and i can't think of another show that writes in that way and you know i mean the beloved early episodes they hadn't found that yet they're traditional sitcom plots basically yeah so let's dive into that so uh the second point of defense is sort of that plot structure and also um jason like adding on to that both the plot structure and the way that some of these shows end is just like again very different than like what's considered maybe the golden era but is uh still funny and unique in its own way and sort of has its own footing in a way that very rewarding yeah some people hate that Spike, you m- mentioned the Computer War Men issues, which is also one of my all-time faves. And that just ends So that, very, that episode uh, is the one abruptly. where he's blogging, right? where he becomes like the rumor blogger, basically? Yeah, and then it bas- it turns into a, an elevated parody of the British conspiracy show, The Prisoner. He starts as Mr. X, and they end up on the island. Yes. And it rules. Yeah, I think that just like, you know, the conceit that you don't actually have to wrap things up neatly with a bow, especially because it is a long ring show, is kind of, I, I appreciate the uh, gleeful absurdity and wanton disregard about that, you know? Right. It's like, you know, you're going to tune in next week. I don't need, especially in this age of like, you know, interconnected uh, universes and ongoing narratives with this dense continuity. Right. To know that a Simpsons episode can end abruptly, and but you're laughing, is totally fine by me. Yeah, you don't binge Simpsons episodes because they leave you with a cliffhanger and you want to do more apart from like one or two cases uh, in the show's history. But um, it's more like you just want to keep binging because of quality. Exactly. The only thing I can think that I wish they did have more continuity on because it just seems to change episode to episode is whether or not Barney is sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and either like, cleaned up or a mess, and it's whatever fits the joke that day the best. Yeah. And they've got Maud dying around this time, which becomes like a continuity. But to me, that's more of a, ooh, I don't like where this is headed than 
the Seymour versus Seymour in Principal and the Popper in uh, season nine, which is an episode where they revealed that Principal Seymour Skinner is actually not Principal Seymour Skinner. He's Armin Tanzarian. And the real Seymour Skinner was captured in Vietnam. And the Seymour Skinner we know was agreed. Anyway, that episode ends in a similar sort of ludicrous vein to some of the early or slightly earlier great episodes like um, like Frank Grimes, where they are railroading the nice guy out of town, in this case, literally tied yeah, to a they, railroad track. It's it's, <laughs> a, it's an episode where they tie the returning war, like POW to a train car, send it on the tracks and everybody's like celebrating like this is the this is the uh, wonderful glee. We finally got rid of this guy whose life was sort of stolen from him but we didn't like him so bye yeah and they have a judge agreed to never discuss that again which is a great sort of version of the ending jason's talking about where like either they make like they either they stop worrying about the reset or they make like an aggressive ridiculous type of reset where they're like look there's no real way to get back to the reset so we're just gonna do it this way the grifter episode has that vibe where it turns out that they weren't really do you know it, it, it's just a great type of way to end an episode of television because it gives you that reset satisfaction, but it lets the joke keep heightening, heightening, heightening. Right. And like, yeah, the, exactly. And the counter, like the one, the computer uh, episode that Jason brought up, that's a sort of different type of non-ending where it was like the episode starts with Homer needing a computer because he doesn't have email. And then he becomes a this blogger and gets in this world. And then they basically they just get captured back onto this like prisoner island. And it just ends with them on the prisoner island. But it's not like... Well, next week, we're going to be back to this prisoner island. It's just like, no, this is a fanciful. And there was no need for it to end that way either. Like that episode could have ended one beat earlier with the reset. But they're like, nah, dog, we're going there. We're just doing an extra joke. Can I just say that? Can I just say one joke from that episode where Homer doesn't have email? He goes to work. No one's at work. uh, And he's like shaking the bars. And he's he's like, I let me into work. And Lenny and Carl drive by and are like, you didn't get the email? And he's like, what's an email? But then he starts shaking the bars again. It's like, let me out. And he's like, oh, I'm so <laughs> stupid. That rules. That joke rules. Yeah, and- he's on the outside of the bars the whole time. And then he yeah. just for- he's so dumb that he forgets it. But then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. It's so good. God. And uh, just while we now that we have brought up the principal and the popper, I know that's like a widely derided episode. I had it on my long list of best from this era because of that ending has that great sort of Springfield mob mentality that seemingly always erupts. And any episode with nom flashbacks for Skinner is riotously funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a character. Oh, and while, you know, since we brought up continuity and how sort of dodgy that gets over the years, one thing that I think is a failing of the seasons after the period we're talking about is that they, if they want to tell a like early Homer and Marge story or like a baby Bart and Lisa story, they have to do the math of like making it, you know, in the nineties or the early two thousands or whatever, cause it's been running for so long. And the, the years that we're talking about, if I'm remembering correctly, they don't feel the need to do that. It's like Homer and Marge meet in high school in some kind of vague seventies range. 
And yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you have if you have this thirty years of never changing family, never aging, except for like weird episodes where you jump forward or jump back or whatever, then it's just like at some point you can't have a modern continuity because it's just like, oh, you know, you need to introduce email and you need to have people have phones in order for things to continue seeming like not weirdly outdated. And that's fine. Like they, they should exist in a stasis, you know, um, mm-hmm. most cartoon characters do, you know? Yeah. I don't want to revisit, you know, like Homer was around for the moon landing. He wasn't not around for the moon landing. You know what I mean? Like, right. if he if he was in high school when I was in high school, he wasn't around for the moon landing. That's math. That's science, and that demonstrates why things should maybe end after season <laughs> seventeen. Yeah. There's only so long. You know, it's like the peanuts thing. It's just like you don't want to see the peanuts grow up, and you don't want to see them hopping on their smartphones or whatever. You just want the little kids to be little kids. Now I kind of do want the peanuts on a smartphone, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. Snoopy blogging. Come on. That's great. That's classic humor. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is wrong about Snoopy blogging. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I, you know, I, I get that request for, to do that show every week. It's very frustrating. I, I just keep uh, putting Spike's text on mute. Can I also say there's there is an episode in this range and I can't remember maybe it's actually a year or two later but where they go to Knott's Berry Farm and like Phantom Planet plays and I just want to say that uh, I have a friend who I watched that episode with and he was watching and thought that Knott's Berry Farm was made up by the Simpsons and like Snoopy like beats up the kids in the fake I think it's like an OC parody so it must have been like 2005 2006 and like Snoopy beats up the kids in an OC parody at Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm is real and people should have known that then. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, uh, that, I, that, I believe that episode is Millhouse of Sand and Fog from season 17, according to the Simpsons wiki. Is that the one where like it turns out his family is like half Dutch and half Danish? And they that episode's good. I We don't need to get into that. That's outside of the range. But that episode's good. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where uh, they plan to get his parents plan to get back together. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, oh yeah, that is one of the only things that they also like kept going is that his dad is so pathetically divorced. Yeah. All right. So the third point of defense is has to do with Homer specifically. I know there was the critic who complained about how he sort of morphed into these seasons, but Spike, I think one of your points was that you enjoy the hilarious madness that is Homer Simpson after sort of a specific horrific incident that he takes part in in earlier seasons. Yeah, I mean, some people will identify Frank Grimes and the death of the lovely Frank Grimes as a version of Homer that goes too far and that after that it's too far. But for me, it actually gets back to a point that was made earlier about recycling plots. It's kind of like what happens at the nuclear plant. And God, I feel like it was Oakley, Bill Oakley, who was the showrunner of season seven and eight, when asked about Frank Grimes, they're like, didn't didn't Homer finally go too far? They're like, no, Frank Grimes sucks. That dude's a nerd. He deserved to die. Which is hilarious. But like, um, 
that's the ultimate heightening of him as like a nuclear power plant technician. And so where they go after that, it doesn't like totally untether him from who he was. And there's some episodes where Homer is like terrible before that, like Homer, like, I don't know, like, um, but he is able to go on a hunger strike till the isotopes make the playoffs, you know? And like, we don't need to worry about him and his day-to-day job. And like, there are some great gags about his day-to-day job, but they were burned out at that point. And this was a nice new heightening of what Homer was. And it allows for him to be put into situations where the Homer madness is pure and unadulterated and just like Homer is a blogger in the Mr. X episode, like the way in which he goes through the progression of getting a computer, dragging it behind his car, throwing it out, <laughs> making the worst website ever and then lying and then winning a Pulitzer prize. Like that is a perfect journey for Homer doing that thing. And you get that more often than not in this run of episodes that we're discussing. Quickly on that. I think people tend to forget how, crazy Homer's life experience was in, in the seasons before that, you know? And the, and these later seasons are allowed to be a little cute and meta about it, where, you know, Homer gets a new job and they'll be like, well, you've been an astronaut, you, uh, you were a plowman, you know, all these different things. You were a mascot, like, it's not like he wasn't always doing insane shit week to week. Right, I think, I think actually in the computer episode, it, we keep referencing this one. It was the one I've watched most recently. Um, literally, the computer salesman is like, these are the ones NASA uses to do something or other. And Homer's like, I was an astronaut. And he's like, sure you were, buddy. You know, and it's just like, well, he, he was. Well, and in like Skinner's Sense of Snow, which is another great season oh. 12 episode. And Top that one, me. that oh one is God. so good. And it's mostly good because of the stuff in the school. It's got great Skinner. It's got great Bart. And great, all just all the kids are are killing it. But there is Homer at one point takes like part of Flanders' roof and puts it on the front of the cars. And he's like, "Whatever happened to your snowplow?" It's like I never had a snowplow. It's like they starts humming the Mister Plow theme song, and it's just ah, oh, so good. It's right. so good. That's a great episode. Like, that one has the uh, the immortal line where he's talking to the Skinner's talking to. He's been tied up in a gym bag. And he's talking to the uh, class pet, who's like a hamster, I think. And he goes, quick, nibbles, chew through my ball sack. Yeah, <laughs> goddamn right it does. There's also, you know, mentioning this, you talked about how, like, Homer's a little more freeform. I think you guys sent me about, like, a dozen episodes to, like, make sure to watch these in preparation. And I don't think a single one of them has him, like, working, like, spending any time at the nuclear power plant. Like, it's just straight up like him just kind of doing you know getting that zany fascination and uh you know i think it's sort of the thing that basically became like like that's even more of the core of like family guy is that like every episode peter is just like i'm gonna do like take up this new hobby thing and again like it's very much the simpsons did it first but uh it's not like it's more it's definitely like more natural in the way that it's just like, oh, he needs a computer to get email and that spirals out of control as opposed to having it be like a huge thing at first. It, it There is like the progression, as you said, with like the plotting to make it all these like weird 
hobbies and fascinations and situations that Homer gets into be a little more grounded in a way. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's just like the premise would other, the premise of the show is pretty broad. That's why it works kind of for 35 years is it's just four people, but like the job of Homer is like the most locked in part of the premise. It also creates Mr. Burns. as like a straight villain, but Mr. Burns ends up being like an ancillary character. Sometimes he gets to do different things. Like you have the trouble with trillions, which I believe is season nine and like in that episode, they end up bonding together. Now Burns is still a villain, and um, botch it. You know, I mean, look, it's a he's a libertarian monster in that episode if you read it literally. But they get to have a very different relationship than they would have if they're still stuck on the premise. And like that, basically freeing up Homer buys them five more years of premise, and like that's cool and um, leads to some of my favorite episodes. So yeah. And if you want to be a, a pedant about it, like, you know, the, the subcontext of, of that running gag is that he has this incredibly important job that he seems to never be at. And that is rarely remarked upon, which is to say that, you know, that plant is not being run very well. Also, I think maybe a good another episode to bring up in this like Homer point is the one episode where I think Homer is the most mad in general like because most of the time things bounce off of him and he doesn't register anything but in the city of new york versus homer simpson yes it's just it it kind of is homer out of his like comfort zone where everybody else is enjoying things blissfully and he's the one just being beaten down again and again and again by uh the big apple you're right it's a great inversion yeah and i haven't it's been at least a month and a half since i rewatched that did they restore it to the original version? With the Twin uh, Towers. Two Towers. Yeah, there, there's there's yeah, he's Okay, cuz that is one of the towers. one of the best gags in that whole episode is him having to pee and both bathrooms are in use in both towers and running back and forth. Yeah, he, he the the general premise for those who might forget or haven't seen that episode is that Homer lets Barney borrow his car because Barney was the driver for a night when Duffman showed up to like cash in all his like being the greatest Duff customer. And then eventually Barney takes the car, gets smashed and ends up in parking it basically in between the twin towers and just uh, accumulating tickets and stuff like that. And Homer has to wait for the ticket person to show up and needs to pee because he's an idiot and drank a bunch of, what is it? Crab juice. Crab juice. (laughs) Yeah. And then has to run between the towers to try and find a bathroom. It's 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 very good. It's very effective. Uh, episode rules and like and like it's worth saying that also in freeing up the premises, you get a lot of the classic Simpsons predicted it moments through this run. That one, that episode, I believe, has the nine eleven sign or like the. You guys know what I'm talking about? I, I do. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of like, articles about that recently. Yeah. Just that phenomenon in general, which is. You know, you look at some back at some of them now, and God, you know, this era was so transformative. But you know, there's a lot of Hillary jokes, but it's not like those were easy to make before. And there's old God knows there's a lot of Trump jokes. Those are easy to make before. These are, you know, two big targets, you know. It's like you watch Die Hard Three. There's a there's a Hillary joke and a Trump joke in there. It was just sort of the norm, you know. So I wouldn't read but too spe- much into it. 
But specifically on the Twin Towers episodes, the fact that it's a nine dollar bus ticket to New York, but it looks like it says nine eleven. Yeah, it's that rules. That's great. For me, that's great. That's a sign of great television is you should predict traffic. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking to that, I was watching one this morning and it opens with um, Steve Irwin getting chewed to death by crocodiles. Hell yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. No one mentions that And also that R.I.P. One. Sorry. Also yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. 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 No. But. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not uh, condoning um, Steve Irwin's death or 9-11, but uh, The Simpsons did uh, do it first, as they said. So then another point of defense, sort of, or, or at least a point of delineation is one that Jason wanted to bring up, which is just the switch in digital animation, which happened in season 14, and that really being more of a demarcation point. When is season 14? Because I know the movie is 2008. Season 14 is 2002 through 2003. Okay. That's when they switched over from hand-drawn to digital animation. I mean, I think there's still some defensible episodes in, in that range up to about the movie, which, I mean, obviously has to be more cinematic, but it just goes a little too far, and there's something so charming about that era of cell animation. I mean, on the pro side with the digital, it frees them up to do, you know, more inventive couch gags and things. But also, I don't need it to be like a more detailed or, you know, more cell-shaded environs for them. It just, it just seems off, you know? Right. And that's oh. just kind of purely coincidental that that, you know, aesthetic shift kind of co- coincides with when the writing kind of t- takes a dive. Yeah, that's sort of when Spike, you know, sort of mentioned how it's about the same time the digital animation comes in is about the same time it's you're picking and choosing episodes. Well, and like yeah. Simpsons should be four by three. Like you should always watch the Simpsons in four by three. It should not be 16 by nine. You need to pick that mode if you're in Disney plus and watch the Simpsons correctly. I mean, watching Simpsons in 16 by nine is like watching anything with motion smoothing. It's the same air, the same degree of misunderstanding what the core of the medium is, which is Simpsons is this big. And like I'm holding up my fingers at an approximate four by three ratio. This is great for the audio medium. Yeah, it, it is. Spike <laughs> is doing a finger box on Zoom for those who yeah. are uh, listening. There are ways that things should be. And the other thing is like couch gags later on, where it's like guest couch gags. Like get out of here. Like I don't care. I don't care that like our crumb did a couch gag or whatever. Like I don't care. They're not funny. The couch gag is like, it's a thing, like whatever. Like it's not, no, no. I don't want to live in that world. <laughs> I want to live in a world where the episodes are good. Yeah, the Disney changing the ratio thing, it's like it's like watching something in pan and scan. Um, and, yes. you know, as many have pointed out, that specific box dimensions, if you crop it in certain areas, uh, you're going to miss some of their, you know, vaunted visual gags, which you know, are usually not even remarked upon and just there in the background for a little chuckle. Yeah, right. Didn't Disney originally release it without the option to switch? And everybody was just like, what the hell are you doing? This yeah, the and they show. fixed it. They fixed it relatively quickly. I, not not to be a Disney stand, but like I will not unsubscribe from Disney Plus because they ha- if they were to take away four by three Simpsons, they would be losing like at this point like thirty dollars a month. <laughs> like there's no price they could set that's too high. Mm-hmm. But don't tell them that. 
don't be cool, guys. All right. So I think that leads us to our fifth point, which is generally that while these episodes aren't quite as sentimental in the James L. Brooks way as some of the golden era, quote unquote, episodes, the comedy is often turned up a little bit more. They're just okay with maybe sacrificing a little bit of that sentimentality to just make it a uh, walking joke factory. Yeah. I mean, you, you put it just aptly. I mean, that's what a lot of people, and again, you know, a lot of these culture writers, they grew up on different Simpsons and we had to catch them on a rerun. So they're, they're really sort of, you know, I'm putting words in people's mouths, but you know, I've read a lot about, about, about this. They they really prize the involvement of James L. Brooks, and his name is still in the end credits, you know. But really, his core thing when they when they were starting out was like, you know, this is a family sitcom, and it should be a little bit sappy and a little bit moralist. And like I was saying before, you know, the episodes tie up with a bun, and there's a lot more sweetness. And it's not like that is absent from later episodes. You know, uh, one of my faves, H O M R, all caps, is like a very sweet episode. One where Homer, they find out that Homer's had a crayon stuck in his brain for all this time. So they take, they pull the crayon, the crayon out, and then he becomes smart. And because he becomes smart, he becomes a better father to Lisa. And then eventually they realize they have to put the crayon back in. And that's both silly and sincere and heartfelt. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that's like totally missing from the, the seasons we're talking about. But it does seem to be things that people maybe... It's a taste thing, but I think maybe they kind of overesteem that because it, those episodes aren't, they don't have the allowance to be as insane and preposterous as, as some of the ones that we've been talking about. Yeah. And I'll say like some of, as I said, I, I rewatch The Simpsons constantly and some of the more heartfelt ones like Dog of Death or the the sushi episode from season two. Like, those are a little harder on a rewatch just because, like, you're feeling things or whatever, and you don't always want that. Sometimes you just put on The Simpsons to go down smooth. And, like, even the the more sentimental later ones, like Lisa the Simpson as well, where she thinks she's go, going through a process of dumbening, which is not even a word. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that type of episode... Even like because they modulated it down, so when they do go sappy, it still goes down pretty smooth. You aren't drifting into early Simpsons, or I think Futurama is the one that does it most aggressively with like a Jurassic Bark or a Luck of the Fryrish, where you're getting into something that's a real like yeah. Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> Requiem for a Dream style emotional Ooh. gut punch. So I think I think that the modulation in this part of it is right before again it falls off the edge around 2007 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just different strokes for different folks. I just don't think that this this era should be written entirely out of hand just because it doesn't have like the the warm and fuzzies or or the extremely anti warm and fuzzies. Yeah, it's a like, it's a nice middle ground. Well, when we talk about like the something that's great about The Simpsons and is, you know, where where it can lean on being animated is that is the structure of it. And it isn't Seinfeld where it's fully connective at the end and there's no lessons learned, nobody, no hugging, no crying or whatever. But like when it can do that a little bit it's still pretty satisfying when they do just get you with connective tissue coming together rather than emotional, emotional connectivity being what gets you at the end. Right. 
And I, I think also in this spot, it's like a lot of the people, you know, when they're talking about that, like joke machine, some of the things they dislike in the later seasons is how it becomes more like pop culture referential and a little less evergreen. And I feel like this is, they do some of that in these seasons, but it's not quite as full on as it gets at certain points. Like, you know, there still will be like a uh, Hootie and the Blowfish gag or something like that, that might not like be as relevant in 2023 as it was in 99 or whatever. But it isn't also just like, most of the episode ideas and things like that are divorced from like a pop culture relevancy at the moment. I mean, there is, you know, there also are some where it's just like, oh, that's uh, that age is a little less well, like uh, Homer hanging out with uh, Mel Gibson all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched the Simpsons go to Africa one recently and like, it lands in an okay place, but like act two is rough. <laughs> like, oh, are we doing are we doing Ace Ventura 2 style jokes of like Africa is weird? Yeah, we are. We're gonna do like five minutes of that. Okay. I've actually given some thought to this recently when we we're trying to formulate our, our defense points. And yes, there are a lot of pop culture gags or cameos and, and so forth. Nothing nearly on the level of, you know, a Seth MacFarlane show or something. But I mean People are just having their blinders on about some of those early to mid Simpsons where it's like, oh, you don't remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers episode? That's like a big thing. You know, celebrities celebrities showing up in the Simpsons happens early and often. Michael Jackson, the Ramones, like what? Yeah, like it's all over. I mean, like Sheriff Lobo is a pop culture reference that is now exclusively remembered because of the Simpsons. The whole Homer at the bat episode is just one big nineties baseball pop culture reference, you know, like, and now I feel like more people know Steve Sachs as a Simpsons character than as a baseball player. (laughs) Um, But like, or Wade Boggs is just a meme rather than a baseball, but like, that's just referential, and that is based. That is baked into what Simpsons is. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think those kind of cover our your guys's five sort of defense points. But we'll dive into the junk drawer, and I feel like this is doing seasons of TV for this pod is a little harder because there's just so much more content, and it's a little more amorphous and all that. So. We'll get into the junk drawer and we can kind of address some of those things or if there's like specific episodes that you guys wanted to um, hit on. I know I'll just give uh, for listener context. Here are some of the episodes that you guys both sent me to be like our core season nine through 13 episodes. So if you want to go back and check out some of these and some of these are crossover, but Jason sent Natural Born Kissers. The City of New York versus Homer Simpson, The Principal and the Popper, which is the controversial one. Viva Ned Flanders, Mom and Pop Art, which you get the wonderful line. That's Millhouse's most classic line, you guys. I don't uh, know. My my uh it's flood pants. It's like uh my oh, yes, my, yes. <laughs> my cuffs are bone dry. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. That's from that episode originally? Yeah, yeah, because at the end of the episode, Homer's performance art is flooding all of Springfield. 
and Millhouse is it's it's my it's my feet are wet and my cuffs are bone dry if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes, like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he has yeah. Anyway, that's also an episode that introduced me to Jasper Johns. Like <laughs> yes. they're not afraid to make like you know oh, just uh, a hacky pop culture reference. We can yeah. all agree. Just yeah. like we're gonna make Jasper Johns stealing stuff a core of this episode. That will be a mm-hmm. gag that we keep coming back and back to. Uh, some other episodes uh, behind the laughter. Skinner's Sense of Snow, we mentioned HOMR, we mentioned uh, The Computer War, Menace Shoes, Weekend at Burnsies, Spike had some others here, some of those were crossover, Reality Bites, Cartridge Family, Lisa Gets an A, Brothers Little Helper, Hungry Hungry Homer, The Great Money Caper, and Trilogy of Error. Trilogy of Error is really good. That's a really good episode. And that's one of the ones in terms of interconnectedness, it manages to really land. It it is obviously an intentionally interconnected and broken apart episode where they tell the same story from three perspectives. But oof, God, that's a good Yeah, that one definitely won an Emmy, right? I mean, it's like such an insane piece of narrative construction. Yeah, well, one of the things that we sort of was a sub point that was sort of some of the risks that the episodes are willing to take now that they're less tied to needing to be the traditional sitcom and are okay with being a little zanier. So like Trilogy of Error is one where you're just like, it's the same. You see the story once from Homer's perspective, the day once from Homer's perspective, the day once from Lisa's perspective and the day once from Bart's perspective. And there's lots of like airlocking. Why did this car drive off? Well, it's because you'll learn about that in act two. And then why did this blow up? Well, you're learning about that in act three and uh, things like that. So um, yeah, there, there is a lot of, you know, outside the box thinking when it comes to some of these episodes structure. What's the name of the grammar bot in that episode? Linguo. 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 And I'll just, say, I'll just say on two two other episodes from that season. A, again, Hungry Hungry Homer is one of my top five <laughs> episodes of all time, period, including the elite phase of The Simpsons. I mean, they literally named a AAA baseball team after a joke at the end of that episode. That rules. And, oh, God, it's a perfect episode. Albuquerque Isotopes, for those who aren't aware. Albuquerque Isotopes. Yeah. And then New Kids on the Black should be terrible. It's like it's that's the exactly, boy band one, right? Oh, yeah. that's a and saying yeah, the odd or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, but it, it and like if we're talking about like celebrity cameos as like a bellwether of bad Simpsons, that should be what. But like it's good. No, it's that a episode's good, episode. good. Yeah, and weirdly, the uh, the one moment that doesn't hold up is like the bad Matrix like move. It like I hate whenever the Matrix gets referenced in like Shrek. Or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just like bullet time jokes are aged worse than anything. But the rest of that episode with like hacky and sync jokes all work. They all land for me still 20 years later. Yeah, the 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 uh the general the Navy general masquerading as like the hip manager is well, so funny. It's that it, yeah, he goes by LT Smash and then it's Lieutenant LT Smash <laughs> is so funny. God, subliminal, liminal, and superliminal. Oh, just incredible jokes. Are there any of those episodes that you kind of wanted to uh, dive into uh, that are uh, favorites of y'all's? I will say, and I might be one of the only people alive that thinks that, but A Weekend at Burnsies is maybe my favorite episode. Just like the the per capita amount of jokes in that. And it's not just stoner humor. It's like making fun of stoner humor. 
in a way that I find really funny. That's for those unaware. That's the episode where Homer gets uh, medical marijuana. It's a good yes. episode. And because he's like so chill when he's high, Mr. Burns like makes him his new assistant. And then there's a great, just the ending is so fantastic. Like he gets high with Smithers and they think they left him in the tub too long. And so he has to give a, a speech to his investors and they just married at him like a puppeteer or like a, they puppet him like a marionette, yeah. even though he's like this lifeless corpse. Um, and then it turns out he's fine. Um, yeah, it's also one of those, like, the, when we were talking about the structure of these later seasons, the beginning has nothing to do with it. It's like he comes home one day and he's scared by the scarecrow in their lawn. So he beats it with a broom. And because of that, the crows that have been menacing them, they like treat him as his, as their leader. And then, and he betrays them and they like bite out his eyes. Yeah, basically. And then, so he needs yeah. uh, medical him. marijuana. Like that, yeah. That's how, that's how you lines, get to medical yeah. marijuana is he betrayed his flock, his betrayed his murder of crows. Yes, it's called, it's a murder, Marge. It's called a murder. I love that one. And then um, Natural Born Kissers has some of the best sight gags in, in the show, in my opinion. Just in terms of like, it's very on the sort of Austin Powers wavelength of uh, cleverly concealed nudity. But um, also just like, Homer Simpson's fat bare ass, like slowly dragging across the glass facade of a mega church, is so funny to me. It's really good. Is there anything, just general points that you would like to add? Don't necessarily have to be positive. I know, Jason, you mentioned uh, when we were pre discussing this, mm. uh, some of the that it's still like, oh, and Spike, you mentioned it in the uh, African episode. There's still a lot of like, Oh yeah, this is uh this this is the joke we're going for. Okay, we're uh, doing Asian stereotypes. We're doing uh, xenophobic stuff, and it's not just you know a problem with this era either. In general, you go back and watch these older episodes, and like that stuff really stands out. It was a problem early on, you know. Obviously, it took them forever to resolve the Apu situation, but yeah, there's a lot of very broad ethnic stereotyping happening, and you know, you just yeah, you just have to reckon with it i guess um it's a bad era for comedy in so many ways when it comes to race and gender stuff like this is what we grew up with it was the air we were breathing it was bad and the fact that any of it holds up is a testament to the quality of joke making in these episodes given like the average the average like film comedy from the late 90s is just unwatchable at this point yeah, I mean, there is some stuff where you're like, oh, they actually like handle that a little more delicately than like it's the joke and it's bad, but they like aren't like outright m mocking it. Like there's the in the mom and pop episode where Homer needs to make art and he's propelled by like anger. Like one of the things Bart says to get Homer angry was like, I was weirdly attracted to Millhouse the other day. It's just like it wasn't like. <laughs> It was just like, oh, it's like sort of a gay joke, but it's not like he just says it matter of factly. So it's not like weird as much. Yeah, weirdly, I think like the gay panic humor in general is actually handled pretty well. I can't remember what season it is, but there's where Homer has to find a new watering hole. And he's, he's in a, obviously a lesbian bar. And he goes, wait a minute. There's something wrong about this bar. This lesbian bar has no fire exit, um, <laughs> which is such a great. Classic. Great Simpson, Simpson says, yeah, and Simpsons handles gay panic better than other. I mean, Simpsons, Frasier, and Seinfeld all 
do it with at least some grace. I mean, obviously the John Waters episode is really good, similar to some early Frasier, and as opposed to like Friends or uh, literally any movie from <laughs> 1975 to 2005. But you know, uh, yeah, and, and generally speaking, uh, you know, mostly Smithers is there to be deployed as some kind of double entendre machine. And that's, you know, that's defensible, I think. They're usually pretty funny. One more thing while we're still in the uh, in the the, uh, the free pile, the free association. Just like speaking to like, you know, depictions of other cultures or, or things like that. Like contextually, it's, it's a room full of ri- writers that I assume are mostly, you know, white dudes who went to Harvard. And, you know, something like Japanese anime is such a novel kind of punchline to them that they think just sort of like, observing it or, or making an easy joke about it is like funny and novel. And now you think about it, it's like, oh no, that was just like a thing that was only catching on in the States. And so you're like, oh, we should mock this or, you know. Like you might be making a joke about a certain like style of anime or like uh, characterizations of the form, but to the vast majority of the American audience who's tuning in on a Sunday night, you're just like, oh yeah, uh, Japanese people, let's laugh at them. Right, right. It's just, a, it's a kink of the, of the show, and but yeah. And now I'm just, I'm down to fucking even watch Keeping More of, of, up with these. Um, especially some of those those later ones, even past, you know, the, the threshold. In the, in the right ratio. Right. In, in 4 by 3 The only thing I want to add again from Hungry Hungry Homer, which is just and it speaks a little we were talking about earlier about stereotypes but they homer goes in to a hairdresser who won't take a coupon from marge uh and he starts messing he throws a hairnet on the ground he spins his rolodex out of place and the guy just goes why are you doing these things and i just think about that line reading i think i assume it's a hank azaria line reading just all the like whenever someone's like i have a toddler and just like whenever anyone is doing anything like annoying or just like moving like why are you doing these things it's just perfect (laughs) it's a perfect reaction to homer coming into your place of work and doing anything right uh it's perfect line reading well i'm glad that you are doing these things in coming on the podcast is there anything you would like to shout out or plug before we get out of here no i no longer work in an industry where i have to plug things so i'll just plug the idea i guess as i work for the government of paying your taxes yeah that's a popular sentiment you also i guess plugging uh watching the simpsons on disney plus in the correct oh format. yeah 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 uh, yeah. they they get i, I mean they, they're having a rough run at the box office right now disney uh i just saw wishes <laughs> projections are pretty bad so yeah but sign up for disney plus pay them extra give bob Iger extra money oh yeah he's he's hard up for it right now i'm sure anything for you jason no i mean you know if uh, you've been my editor on a few pieces for the inlander over the past year and a half or so and yeah you can you check, out, check those uh, out jason and my writing on the inlander.com you can just search our names and uh, inlander and there'll be author pages and stuff like that and I, I had one about unconventional christmas films that you can read now that it's that time yeah and you'll yeah you've done a few sort of essay things uh so and more will certainly be coming in the future so uh that's a place to check out some stuff yeah i don't know follow the podcast on socials or whatever or don't because i will just stop doing episodes for like 
four or five months and then uh, pop up. So, I mean, it's a very easy follow, I guess, in that sense. I don't bombard you with stuff. But yeah, thank you both for taking the time to chat with me and get a little journey to Springfield today. I really appreciate it. But I must go now because my plant needs me. But remember that even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. (laughs) 